storytelling also promises something as well. And that's the belief and the hope, but hope sounds too passive. A true, true story, like a trans transformational storytelling, ultimately promises a brighter, better future. This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. I am once again honored to be representing my friends at New Society Publishers, the book publishers that were a big inspiration to me even before I started working with ecologies and natural buildings and way before podcasting. Their titles like The Natural Plaster Book and Timber Framing for the Rest of Us really made me believe that I could build my own home, which I eventually did. And later volumes like Ecopreneuring, Unlearn Rewild, and Building Community have offered tons of inspiration and even helped to shape my worldview. Whether you're looking for practical tips on growing and preserving food, exploring complex challenges in your own life, or sometimes just searching for hope and inspiration in a crazy world where you don't feel like you fit in, you'll find exactly what you're looking for and more at newsociety.com. I remember distinctly the time that a storyteller came to my middle school when I was in seventh grade. At that point in my school experience, like for many others, it consisted of being talked to all day by someone at the front of the class while I struggled to pay attention and not fidget. But this was different. This woman's story and the way that she told it managed to hold an auditorium full of 12 and 13 year olds in silent attention, hanging on her every word. I remember how she raised and lowered her voice to build tension and how she would quicken or slow her speech to convey energy and pace and to use emotion to transport us into the viewpoint of the characters and feel what they were feeling. I was truly impressed, and since then I've loved storytelling, especially live stories, and I envy those people who've mastered their way of speaking to elicit real emotion and connection with an audience or even just an individual in conversation. And that's why today I'll be exploring the importance of storytelling in our modern lives with one of my favorite authorities on the subject. Now, Shannon Leahy is the founder of Lighthouse Storytelling and works with individuals and organizations to effectively communicate their stories through better writing and speaking. She told me right away just how far back storytelling has played a big part in her life and why it was so important from a very young age. Well, I always like to say that when uh, I grew up, I uh, very much had a... Um a father who I, I loved and adored. And there were four, four other orangutans, four other siblings. So we were a big Irish family of five. Uh, don't tell my sister. I often say that I come from a family of brothers, but you know, when you have really big voices, you learn, <laughs> you're either going to be quiet or you're going to just learn to get louder. And for my dad, uh, he used to sit at the head of the table. And if you didn't actually have a story to share, in many ways, you didn't have a place at his table. And over the years, when I've shared that with audiences, I've always been so amazed by what they think that means. And then they actually tell me how wonderful they think my childhood was or how horrible it was. And what I meant was, is I discovered quite quickly that the way to entertain, to be seen, heard, and understood, especially as a middle child, you know, our fawn nickname, the, 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 uh, the forgotten child, was to come to the table with a story and be able to actually communicate in a way that could have command over the room. Now, at the risk of that sounding unbelievably egomaniacal, is as a kid, 
that's like currency, right? I mean, mom and dad are paying attention to me. I'm slowing down dinner. You know? So I, uh, I learned quickly that there, there was value to it. And also too, storytellers are also uh, story listeners, right? I always had a tremendous fascination with other people. So in terms of the value of stories and when people come to me and they're wanting to know how to tell a story, how to, how to write it, much less how to, how to perform it on stage. Um, my advice used to be quite unfashionable because my first step would be start listening to stories. And by listening to other people's stories, you'll start finding your own. And that's our great, beautiful shared humanity that these days uh, is um, we're really needing uh, strong bridges to 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 bridge a gap that I'm I'm absolutely shocked that the gap is as wide as as it is right now. Before we go in deeper about techniques and strategies for better storytelling, let's establish a baseline of where we're at as a storytelling culture because digital and social media have changed the ways that we tell stories through their various platforms. Can you tell me some of the ways that this art form has been transformed recently? Oh, there's so, how shall I count the ways? One of the biggest things I see, and again, that, that fascination and being amazed by and, and really working hard not to be frightened by it, by it, it are, are two mindsets. Number one is that everyone has a story. I don't agree. So there, I'm quite in the minority on that one, that everything is a story, just like everyone has a right to an opinion. But if you dig deep into that, that becomes part of the white noise. If everyone has an opinion, if everyone has a story, then ultimately we're all screaming into the wind and back to bridge building, right? And the moat gets, gets wider and wider. Number two, I'm really amazed to see how storytelling has been commercialized, commercialized in the sense of, remember when it became really, really fashionable and everyone was a storyteller and, and you, could, you, you could spend thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on, on how to be a storyteller. And now journalists, at least here in Canada, you have journalists or newscasters who ultimately you could say read uh, prompts are now being called Canada's favorite storyteller. I don't want a journalist to be a storyteller. I want a journalist to be a, a journalist and then let me come to my own conclusions. And that really is what fundamentally, like it or not, stays the same in a true story is stories their power and their pot potential for subversiveness, and that doesn't necessarily need to be negative or, or against the greater good, is that it shows meaning without constricting itself to saying what the meaning is. So in simplest terms, a story invites a listener or a reader to come to their own conclusions. And I bet, Oliver, that you likely enjoy changing your own mind rather than feeling berated and, and kind of like attacked to a point where you, you give up and you say, okay, fine. I I'll, I'll, I'll agree. Right. Because I, you might've changed your mind, but you sure haven't changed your heart about me. Right. Or about the view. So with so many stories, shall we say out there and who's a storyteller and the, you know, you know the person with the best story wins, I'm also fascinated how the term narrative is being used because narrative and ideology are very, very different. And I'm finding being a word lover, 
there is a level of concern for me because ideology I see as a box. It's like the Dead Sea is that sure, new ideas can come in, but then nothing really goes out. Nothing new is created. And yet a story can be, can, can be told last year and then be told right now and be told next year and have completely different meaning. So I'm really quite, really, really conscious of when we talk about narrative, narrative does not imply a storyline because stories ultimately, the best stories, as I said earlier, are stories that remind us of our shared humanity and how we truly really are in all this together. And when I say in this, I mean, in terms of our, of our, I'm going being human, the meaning of life, all the good stuff, right? Love, compassion, joy. And then of course you as, as I almost, I almost dated myself and called you an environmentalist, but you know, as someone who's so in tune with, you know, with, with Gaia, with, with, with mother earth, you know, the environment re regenerative policies. I mean, that's where you also see our, our uh, humanity there as well. So that's really what comes to mind for me is how with storytelling becoming so prevalent and the quantity being so massive, I do believe that a lot of the quality has, has been diluted. And I know that's not particularly fashionable, but I'm okay to stand on that hill. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll find plenty of people on your side on that one. But with the dilution of stories and the commercialization of these expressions, how can we make our stories connect with others and break through the noise? Well, I think a lot of... There's so many, there's so many tips and trades, you know, pot potholes and and all the rest and, and mistakes. I've done them all. Like I, I I always like to define wisdom as I know I know a lot about what doesn't work, right? And the biggest thing that comes to mind to me immediately, and the irony is 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 it's not really so much of a mindset, is to believe in the story you're about to share. And we, and we don't have to be particularly sophisticated listeners or readers to really be able to know when someone is speaking, whether they are trying to sell us crap or they give a crap, right? And that's very much the reptilian brain. Does this person care about me or is this person just trying to free money from my wallet, right? Out of my bank machine. And, and our spidey senses now are so strong to be yes, right? Because we're so inundated and we're exhausted and, 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 and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're walking around with COVID, COVID curves and lockdown life and all the rest. Like we have a really low tolerance for, you know, what our grandparents would have called, you know, horse shit. How's that? But so the mindset, number one, would be to actually believe in what you're going to say, because that's actually fuel. Because if you're really hesitant and don't believe in your own story, then how the heck are, is anyone else going to believe in it as well? And especially as a public speaker, it's the Wild West up on stage. Like you cannot fake that stuff. And if you can, well, you're a superb actor, then you're not you're no longer in the realm of storytelling for the sake of transformation and and. and pushing the species forward. And I mean, and I know that's, that's the realm that you live in. Those are, that's your tribe. So the first thing I would be is to really believe in the story that you're about to share. And then once you have the power of belief, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to stumble, but your authenticity and your strength and your courage is ultimately what people, whether they're listeners or readers or both will fall in love with in it or it 
at minimum, at least give you a chance. Because stories as well, and that ties in with what's a good one, a story is ultimately a form of influence. And, it's an, if, and if that sounds too douchey or too marketing, a story is ultimately an invitation into a better world. And then it's up to that person who's listening or reading to make a decision. It's, what, it's, it's ultimately what journalism was about. It's like, hey, Oliver, I know you're busy. I know you have a mortgage to pay. I know you have some yard waste to get rid of to walk the dog, maybe raise your kid, but this is what's happening in the world. And now it's up to you to decide whether or not that has any meaning for you. I know that makes like media consumption and media creation so easy and wonderful, right? But that really, that, that really is the invitation is, what does this story mean to you? And if it does mean something to you, are you actually going to take action? And then true transformational storytellers such as yourself, What's really lovely is the person in a moment of inspiration, you're, they, they, they're actually, you've appealed to their higher angel, shall we say their higher self, you then actually do have to offer them what the next step is. And I know that with some storytellers, that would sound like, well, then you're now advocating for marketing, but it's wonderful to have, to inspire people and to entertain them and to make them feel good. It's wonderful. And then what's next? Because otherwise a story is like eating cotton candy. It's fantastic. It's great. But in the end, you've added to your COVID curves and nothing's changed. And as storytellers willing to really go up there and, and, and sacrifice and also stumble and suffer, um, we, we really do have to then at least provide a, the, the next step of that inspiration. So that person can say, you know what? I love what Oliver just said. I agree with it. I'm behind it. And then I've also taken action and then it's done. And that's a highly satisfying interaction between two people, whether that's you in front of a room of 300 people, like in the olden days, <laughs> you know, a screen of 300 little potato heads on a zoom call or uh, speaking to your boyfriend or girlfriend one-on-one, -on -one, right? You're actually, you've made an invitation. The person has accepted the invitation and then you've actually guided them through their own self-determination, you know, their self-determination, their own empowerment to actually do something that pushes a species forward. And that, my friend, is a good day at the office. <laughs> Given just how sensitive listeners are about being advertised to or for sniffing out any selfish agenda, I count myself in that group now. How can we advance an agenda or effectively make a point through storytelling without it coming off as sleazy or manipulative? Well, I, I work with storytellers who ultimately have what would be called tough stories, right? So they're tough stories in the sense that they can make people uncomfortable. And you can make people feel uncomfortable as soon as you push or not or, or ring the doorbell on their on whatever paradigm they're living in, right? Because the only reason why people like us approach other people as wonderfully, you know, gorgeous and social as we are is because we believe that we actually have something to say that could make life a little bit better. And not in an egomaniacal way, but we, right? And this isn't all the time, obviously, but we have an idea and we believe in the idea and we think it's going to make life better, right? We're not selling porn or nicotine. Yes, I've said that from stage, you know, in the olden days, but it's true. Like there's not a, we don't have an ethical dilemma. Like the idea, you know, it's it, the, the idea is, is good and it's pure and we believe in it and, and, it's, and it's not doing any harm. But what can happen though is, is, 
you ha- do have to meet your audience. And remember, an audience is ultimately a group of individuals, right? So let's say instead of audience, I'm going to say individual. You do have to meet the person with where they are. So as a skill set, how do you actually then, as you say, sp- spoon feed and or otherwise known as kind of dumb it down. And then now we're talking down to people and we all love to be talked down to, of course, right? <laughs> but why wouldn't you put on the brakes, right? Be- but that that also doesn't work because then we are in the position of teacher and they are student, which means we're right and they're wrong. We're smart and they're dumb. Do you see? And that's the joys of the, the left brain, right? I'm right, you're wrong. Um, and, and off to the races we go. So the biggest thing as a, as a skill set is I, I think of uh, number one, grounding your story in what's familiar to the average person you're speaking to. Let them know where they are. Let them recognize the world that you're talking about. Like something as simple as, which of course isn't really as simple as the word regeneration. If someone doesn't know what that actually means, or what it's similar to, they, they, they can't move forward. They like neurologically cannot move forward because they have an unanswered question. And the fact that they even on some level know that they have an unanswered question is fantastic because it means they're actually doing some light uh, lifting of, of uh, critical thinking. Imagine that, right? Um, so to really ground your, your story in what is familiar. And if we went even more skill set ground your opening scene. Think, think of film, right? Think of uh, the, the best movies, the best stories. You know, I call it W3. You know who's in this frame, you know where, where it is, and you know what's happening. So when I used to write for magazines, I remember one of the most powerful stories I had the privilege of sharing was the, the character. She was pregnant. She was at a bus stop, and she was waiting to get on the bus to go see the doctor you know, who's there, you know, what's happening. And then the hint is within an hour of being at the doctor, she'll be fighting for her life. You want to know what happens next? Right. And that starts at a bus stop. And so, so something as simple as that, but as you know, like simplicity is, is anything but simplicity because it's essence. So that's what I would say is, is in terms of rather than thinking of spoon feeding, if you wanted to think in that term, think of familiarity. How can I show my listener who is giving me the most precious commodity on the planet, which is their time? They are never going to get that back. How can I have them know where they are, know what I'm talking about. And at the same time, this is again, the joys of the art and science of it and feel safe at the same time. And having someone feel safe is to know where they are. They're not in a dark room, but bumbling around in the dark. That's our job, right? As artists and, and communicators is to do that, preferably not live, but of course it's going to happen live as well. It's how we learn. But then also to really trust you as a guide where it's like Oliver is, is here to guide me. He's not talking down to me and he wants to show me something. Just like when we were kids. And then I'm going to decide whether or not what Oliver is showing me is cool or not. And it becomes very non-adversarial and there's not a winner or a loser. But of course, you know what the stakes are is that the more people who come over onto your boat, the better. I like that. 
I don't think I had thought of storytelling that way before as like a method of persuasion of ideas and perspectives in hopes of connecting others to our ways of seeing the world or showing that we're not alone in our feelings. And that's where the power of, I always like to say emotion is the potion, right? And I know that a lot of, um, a lot of people get a little squirrely about that. Cause they're like, that still sounds like manipulation and you sound like a marketer, but what do we all have in common is that we're all emotional creatures and emotion doesn't undermine reason. Emotion is the foundation of reason. So one of the things to go back to say, helping, uh, people tell tough stories. I work a lot in the, um, recovery movement. So people who have been uh, addicted to X, Y, and Z, and now they're living these beautiful lives of recovery. And, and they're, I call them lighthouses, they're beacons, right? They have, and they have a story that is rooted in a lot of pain and suffering and so forth. And then it's also rooted in hope because here you have people who are not professional speakers. They're often not, they're not getting paid to speak, but they're, they're the most courageous people I've ever met because they're willing to step up on that stage and, and share their story because there might be one person who actually uh, is changed, who they actually save from, and that's the highest stakes in storytelling, it's life or death. So with emotion so often, especially as, uh, as men and especially as women, because we have our own burdens, is don't get too emotional. And then to, of course, our men, it's like, don't you like, you, it's not, it's unspoken. Of course, you're not going to go up there and, and, and get choked up or anything like that. And I don't agree that women really should be doing that either. As women, I, I think we're encouraged to lead with our wound stories. And I think it, I think it undermines uh, just about everybody. So what with emotion is one, one tip that I would, I would uh, share with, with storytellers as, as they're crafting their, it's true, their pitches, their fundraising proposals, is what, feel, what feelings do you actually want to activate in, in your um, prospect? Now, if you're getting the spidey senses of like, oh, that sounds like marketing, but it's true though. Like, do you, do you actually want to make them feel so horrible about the environment that they better, like, you know, they better save the whales because all the whales are being slaughtered or the seals are being, are, are, are being clubbed to death. Like, we know that that doesn't, doesn't work. Like hope and faith builds, uh, builds wor worlds, not, not shame and fear. And those aren't the world, that's not the world we want to build. I completely agree. I'm exhausted from so many doomsday statistics and these dire warnings of the future for humanity. And it's not that I disbelieve them or I don't want to hear it. It's just that it really only serves to paralyze me and, and I kind of fall into despair after hearing a certain amount of it. It seems to provoke apathy more than action for me and a lot of others. And at times it feels like that angle is being overplayed for emotional reactions. Yet I also know that personal emotion and vulnerability are powerful tools to convey important and difficult messages. Do you have some tips on how to use them effectively without overdoing it? Oh, can it be? Well, we, I think we've all seen it overplayed, right? I think we've all, yeah, we've all seen it to where it's like, oh, you might be crying, but I don't believe you. Uh, well, vulnerability, I always think, you know, the power of vulnerability, Brené Brown, you know, year, you know, years ago. And, and uh, I remember when she came out and she was so horrified because there she was as a, as a researcher being called a storyteller. And that's why I think that became the boom, right? Because that was like the number one TED talk and all the rest. And what did she have? I mean, it was, it was, she, she was vulnerable because she, she went behind the numbers, right? She talked about, um, she talked about looking at the numbers and the power of shame, 
But more than anything, that vulnerability, that that origin story really went into the collective consciousness because she was a researcher. So despite her Southern drawl, y'all, you know, from Texas and, and, and blonde and, 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 and pretty, right? The whole nine yards, there are all kinds of buttons being pushed. Here was this researcher, this quantitative, I think, God, I don't even know what, how to pronounce it. Quantitative researcher who was talking about having a breakdown because it was all about shame. So that's, so that's a form of vulnerability defined as there was a twist in the story, right? And we love twists. Now, vulnerability, though, I think especially for, for some people, whether, whether male or female, but I, I believe guys have it a lot harder. It's like, why would I want to go up on stage and be vulnerable? Like, I want to be strong and professional and, and this, like, and, and, and articulate. And, and as a woman too, it's like, why do I want to go up there and be vulnerable? What? So I don't appear as, as a, as aggressive or assertive or a bitch like, so, right. So we're already into a pothole. So I really define vulnerability as being in command and being in command of and being in command of the room. Now, when I tell this to some clients, they just say, oh my goodness, they just want to scream out of the room because they, they think they, they've hired a dictator. But when I say, maybe they have, uh, but I, I see control as a fist. And the thing about control is that like a, a fist, well, again, right? Just look at the imagery, right? A fist is, is, is it, it's closed and nothing comes in and nothing comes out. And, and, and yet it's, and it's a fist. So it has, it, it, but one finger gets loose and then another finger and then another finger and it's an open palm. But command, since we're just coming off of Easter, I kind of think of Jesus. No, I'm not saying go out there and act like Jesus, but you know that the open palms, not crucifixion, but you will have days like that. But the kind of open palms where command is, you have an openness, you're grounded. I know to the mindfulness people, you know, the meditative people, like you're, you're rooted in the ground, you're rooted in your story and, and you have command over your emotions. Can you still access um, I don't want to say tears, but can you still access, you know, emotion in your throat? Can you still take a pause because you're feeling a little overwhelmed, not from nerves, but, but by, by passion, by emotion, by memory. And you can, and you, you have command because you're safe in your story. And therefore the audience is safe in that story too. Because if there's one thing that I've learned from being on the public, uh, speaking circuit, is it, 99, and I believe, I, I believe this before, but 99.9% .9 of people want you to succeed. They don't want, they don't want you to go up there and, and die on stage. I've done it. People are very gracious, <laughs> you know, you know, we're, 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 we're harshest on ourselves. Right. But if you go up there and you're overly emotional, your listeners will panic because they don't want to watch a, a train wreck. You know, they, they don't, they don't want to see it. And it's also oversharing. And I know that I've sat in a group and I've seen someone overshare and as wonderful as I am, I'm actually mildly irritated because I feel like I'm being manipulated. And as a woman looking at another woman, the sisterhood, I'm like, girlfriend, you're not helping us at all. And if I see a guy up there, I'm like, dude, no, like th this, this is not what it is. Like you don't need, to <laughs> no, you'd be in command. So that's what comes to mind for me is that if you're telling a story where you actually get so, 
and you know what it is when you're rolling, like you just, you're not who's in charge and it's not really you, then you know that, 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 that that's beyond vulnerability. But I define vulnerability as being in command of your emotions, of your story, of the room. And you're still very much coming from an, an, authentic, on a, an authentic place and you're being honest because I bet you, you've seen it too. And especially with, with the public uh, speaking circuit, I was amazed where people would tell stories that they claimed were first person stories and they weren't. Have you seen like that? Like, uh, like, yeah, like, cause like our story went over really well with a speaker. And then the next thing, you know, a couple of months later you hear a speaker and it's like, Oh, that, what? That wasn't your father. That was my fault. You know? So it is, is to be honest, 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 because if you're telling stories, especially that include other people and whether they're they're in another country or, or in another world, I always put especially dead people. I always put them right in the room with me because you have to tell, you have to tell the truth. The truth is according to you. Yes. And never let the facts get in the way of a good story. My dad always used to say, but at the same time, you have to really part of being in command and being vulnerable is to know, I don't like the term bulletproof, but to know that you're still in integrity. Because I, I think that's where we get into trouble. Trouble is when we, we know we're walking the line and then we, we lose courage. And that's actually our, our guidance system saying like, I know you have a big vision here, but you have, but you still have to tell the truth. You still have to tell. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not theatrics. There you have it. Some great advice for your stories and unique messages moving forward. There's a lot more ground that Shannon and I covered in the far reaching conversation that you can find in the full uncut interview on the regenerative skills, Patreon page. And you can find more of Shannon's work where? I uh, run a uh, storytelling studio here in, in Toronto, Canada. So I'm at lighthousestorytelling.com. And that's one of the many reasons why I call so many storytellers lighthouses, right? Where you don't see bunches of, you don't see a bunch of lighthouses together or a flock of lighthouses. You see them on cold, jagged, wet, slippery rock, just shining away. Uh, but every once in a while, it sure is nice to find other, other fellow lights. And I'm out there on LinkedIn with my own name. And then, of course, uh, on, on the website, there is the, the storytelling tips that come out. But no, I, uh, I, I always appreciate speaking to uh, lovely people like you, Oliver. And that would be my last closing tip for, for those of us. And, and I consider myself so blessed to, to, to even be in that realm. But to, to people like you who really see a better world. And then you actually have the how to, like you actually have thought it through, through blood, sweat, and tears. And then you've practiced it and you've experimented with it and you've perfected it. And now you want to share it with, with people rather than saying the world, but that's ultimately, you know, one person at a time. Um, it's, it's really the, it's really the point of being alive. And I think sometimes as storytellers, we have to really remind ourselves that they're really, this is the work with a capital W and it's blood, sweat, and tears. But at the same time, there's such a tremendous joy in sharing your ideas through story and it's a sacred art and you're transformed. And then we as listeners or readers were transformed as well. And 
as I like to say, and of course, Leonard Cohen said it best, that's, that's how, that's how the light gets in, right. It's, it's through the cracks. So I really salute you and, and to your uh, listeners as well for the hard work that they're doing. And at the same time that it's the work, it's, it's the whole point of being here. All right, before wrapping up today, I want to pose some questions to you directly. What stories have really connected with you throughout your life? Have they changed your mind or shaped your worldview in meaningful ways? And do you think you would be able to retell that story to another person and have it make the same impact on them as it did for you? If not, what skills would it require to make that happen? As always, we'll be exploring these questions and sharing stories on the Discord channel. And if you're not already a member, it's completely free to join, and you can find the link on the homepage at regenerativeskills.com. I can't wait to see you there. A special thanks to Shannon Leahy for sharing her knowledge and perspective on storytelling. Thanks as well to Nathan Moore for this week's original music. If you'd like to have your own original music featured on the show or just want to get in touch, you can email me directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. Until next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.